Welcome to Workproof Your Brain and Body, a podcast about tools, strategies, and ideas you can use as a busy professional to upgrade your health and fitness. Hello and welcome to another episode of Workproof Your Brain and Body. And in today's episode, I'm going to talk about three reasons that you are remaining overweight. So when you're a busy professional, you have a lot of plates spinning. You've got your work, your family, social groups you may be part of. Many times it's our health that gets kicked to the curb. Not intentionally, of course. I haven't met many people who say explicitly that they want to make their health worse. Yet, because our health is a cumulative effect, it is easy to miss it deteriorating bit by bit as the years go by. One of the biggest markers we tend to use to indicate the quality of our health is our weight, or from an aesthetic perspective, how overweight we look. Now, on a fundamental level, how much you weigh should have very little, little influence on the quality of your work performance. However, there are a number of indirect factors that can, over time, lead to directly influencing your work performance, such as there is some evidence to suggest that increased weight can lead to increased occurrences of musculoskeletal problems such as back and knee pain. Also, if the increased weight has been coupled with regular sugar intake, This can affect blood sugar levels, which ultimately affect energy levels. Now, while weight loss doesn't always lead to uh, greater levels of self-confidence, as part of a holistic approach to increased health, you can find many benefits to reducing your weight to a level that you can stick with. But you have probably seen the figure that 95% of people who attempt to lose weight end up pulling it back on again. And to a certain extent, that figure is true. We are lousy at keeping off lost weight. Yet that doesn't have to be the case for you. You can be part of that 5% that loses weight and keeps it off. But you have to be aware of two things. A strategy at which you go about it, as in losing weight, and the common roadblocks that keep you in the 95% range. You all know a few of these roadblocks already if you have a history of yo-yo dieting. But over the rest of this podcast episode, I'm going to give you three common reasons you and many others remain overweight. So the first one is the simple one, which is not in a calorie deficit. And this is the most commonly told and obvious one. You're not in a calorie deficit. Now I get it. Not everyone likes to track their calories, and that's fine. While I have consistently found it to be the most effective way of losing weight, I understand that it's not for everyone. When I work with clients, I don't give them a meal plan. I explain to them, those who are most successful have to have a level of autonomy over the food choices they make. So, I show them the most successful methods of losing weight and then invite them to choose which one they think will fit most successfully with their lifestyle. 
For every one of my clients that does track their calories, I inform them that tracking calories shouldn't be forever. Just a period of time where their brain can get a new visual representation of what a sufficient level of food should be within a calorie deficit. Either way, whatever method you choose, to be successful, you have to be in a calorie deficit. Now, this can either be explicitly or implicitly. Explicitly being that you're intentionally following a food plan. Implicitly means that you've subtly changed the way that you've eaten and as a result, lost weight. So you weren't intentionally trying to lose weight, it just happened. Now the bottom line is this, if you're not losing weight, you're not in a calorie deficit. Now, one common factor that can arise is you started losing weight and it's stalled or you started losing weight, but now you've noticed the weight creeping back up again. The two most common reasons for this is one, you were in a calorie deficit, but now due to something called adaptive thermogenesis, as you lose weight, the body compensates by slowing your metabolism, essentially conserving energy while increasing your hunger signals. Number two is that you subtly started eating more than you think and have now entered into a calorie surplus. From experience of working with clients, this is common after the first indication of success, at which point you then treat yourself with the foods that you have restricted yourself of during the weight loss. If you believe this is a factor for you, my solution is to choose one of three ways for a set period of time, say two weeks. One, track your calories for two weeks, make sure you're in a calorie deficit and see how it makes a difference. After two weeks, assess how you can change your eating on an ongoing basis. Two, stick with what you are eating, but reduce your portions by a noticeable level. Or three, reduce the quantity of the carbs or the fat from what you are eating. If any of these three things work in reducing your body weight, you can then conclude that you weren't really in a calorie deficit beforehand. So the second reason is too stressed and sleeping badly. It is correct to say weight is about calories in versus calories out. However, to stop there would be naive. The influences that play on either side of that equation are vast and sleep is one of them. There are two areas where poor sleep can affect weight gain, the hormonal responses and decision making. In terms of the hormonal responses, a number of studies have shown that poor sleep can increase your hunger response. In one study, 14 healthy non-obese individuals were placed on a fixed calorie diet and had one group sleep for eight and a half hours while the other group slept for four and a half hours for four days. Both groups took part in both conditions four weeks apart. In the days following the four and a half hours sleep, participants showed increased activation in the endocabinoid, as in the ECB system. This also coincided with times when there were reported elevated feelings of hunger. Now, interestingly, after the fourth day evening meal, all participants fasted until the afternoon of the fifth day, where they were able to choose their own meal and snacks for the rest of the day. Now, while both groups ate 90% of their daily intake in their first meal they got on their fifth day, 
the sleep-deprived groups snacked more on unhealthier snacks available to them. The decision-making around food when sleep-deprived is a second problem area. This is because poor sleep can affect how we perceive risk and reward. To highlight this, one study featured 29 volunteers who were either told to sleep in their usual way or pull an all-nighter and miss a night's sleep. Following this, they were then given a series of gambling tasks while lying in an fMRI scanner. The results showed the group who had a night of no sleep took more risks to get potential gains and had little concern for the losses they suffered. Their brain scans reflected this by showing increased activity in the brain reward areas. Two hormones that play a key part in decision-making related to your weight is ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin is known as the appetite hormone because it signals to the brain it's time to eat. Ghrelin is supposed to be suppressed when you sleep for obvious reasons. You, the last thing you want at 2 a.m. is a signal that you are hungry. Leptin is another hormone that communicates with your brain relating to appetite, only this time communicating when you are supposed to be full. When you are asleep, leptin levels are increased, indicating your energy levels are fine and there's no need for food consumption. However, there is evidence short sleep durations puts these two hormones in reverse of what they are supposed to be. In one study of 1,024 participants, they found the people who were sleeping for around 5 hours had close to 15% higher levels of ghrelin and 15% lower levels of leptin in their system compared to those who were sleeping for 8 hours. It is clear from the evidence presented here that poor sleep duration provides an environment ripe for weight gain and poor food choices. But that's not all when considering the effect poor sleep has on cognitive ability. In terms of stress, food can commonly be used as a comforter. You've had a rubbish day at work, it's pouring down with rain on your way home, you're stuck in a traffic jam, and your child is complaining they'll be late for practice. You get home and all you want to do is feel a little bit better. What quicker way than to feast on some high sugar snacks? This is why food and feeling good can create such a connection, but a connection that has to be broken to create a more efficient interaction with food. So the solution is, if stress and poor sleep is a factor, is to work on identifying what is causing a lot of the stress and creating ways on how to handle stress more effectively. In episode four of Work Prove Your Brain and Body, I got into a number of ways on how to reduce your levels of stress and will be releasing an online program on this exact topic in the very near future. The third reason is continual self-sabotage. In the world of therapy, there is a concept called secondary gain. This is the idea that despite wanting to change something, it can also fulfill a benefit in some way. Smoking is a perfect example. You may want to quit, but it also allows you to have more breaks at work and provide a small stress reliever when you do that first exhale of the cigarette smoke. In terms of weight, what we call self-sabotage can also highlight a secondary gain experience of being the way you are. This isn't conscious and they tend to be perception, so won't always seem logical in the cold light of day. 
For example, maybe being overweight protects you from the disappointment of being dumped if you get into a relationship. Again, a perception, so it won't always make sense. Maybe you've always been known as the bubbly one in your social circle and think you'll lose part of your identity if you lose weight. Maybe a large part of your social network revolves around food and feel that maybe this will be lost if you lost weight. I've heard all of these when working with clients. Each of them provide a validity in staying overweight in spite of you consciously wanting to lose weight. The solution is less about attempting to lose weight and more about exploring the psychology of why you feel you need to. For you to lose weight, it is good to be fully on board. If that means spending some time recognizing how you can fulfill that secondary gain in a way more in line with your goal, or even recognize the gain is no longer needed, then that is time well spent. So to summarize, three reasons you remain overweight can be not being in a calorie deficit, stress and sleep factors, and unconscious self-sabotage. If you take away one thing today, have it be that everyone is capable of lasting weight loss. It takes using a holistic systems approach rather than the one-dimensional approach that is still common in today's advice. That's it for this week's podcast. Any questions about today's or any episode, email me at info at Thanks, and I'll see you next time.